Hey there, Rantineers and fellow film lovers. It's your host, Brennan McGee here. If you like our show, you can support us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash therealrant. And in all honesty, whatever you find between those couch cushions helps us out greatly. All right, on to the new episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Real Rant, the place where we like to rant about the real stuff. My name is Brendan McGee, and sitting across from me on occasions is the spectacle with spectacles. Who are you, dude? Nick Carter, Debian. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good, boy. So by the time this episode is released, I'll have been back from vacation, but I'll have edited this before my vacation. And I'm just super jazzed right now because I've been waiting to go on vacation for about a year now. Since you got back from your last vacation? Since I get back from my last vacation, pretty much. Yeah, man. It's, I don't know, it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's been a lot of work the last week. I took a week to work on the show and do all that jazz and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been going pretty good, but... Earning that vacation. Exactly. You got to earn it to burn it or burn it to earn it. That's the way it is. Right? I don't, I've never heard that before, so I have no idea. It's okay. I just made it up. So. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. That's how that old <laughs> saying that I just made up goes, correct? <laughs> ah, that old chestnut. Yes. And that voice that you just heard is the local celebrity. Who are you, dude? My name is Sam Farabee. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing fantastic. This is your third appearance on the pod. It sure is. Yeah. It sure is. Who picked the film this week, actually? I want to know, because... I think it was a combination from all of us. Yeah, yeah. we were just kind of, like, really trying to decide what we were going to do. Yeah, first I said being John Malkovich, and that was shot down. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't shot, shot down. We'll, it we'll wasn't probably, shot down. We'll, we'll end up doing that. I'm that's pretty a, that's sure a cool we all film. wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. we did. It's, um, just, it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah, but Sam actually texted me about Swiss Army Man like a week and a half ago and was like, yo, have you seen this? Yeah. This is the most unique movie I've ever seen. Have so you never seen it before? To... Other than I, I, I saw it for the first time probably, yeah, probably about a week and a half ago. Really? Yeah. Oh, and, my God. Uh, and I was like, I was like, this is so amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so good. It's a great film. It's a great film, but we will get into it. And I guess Mind you. that leads to the film of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, we really, uh, <laughs> I don't know. People want to get the inside this, scoop. We did yeah. this backwards. That's okay. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I think this is going to be a regular occurrence having Sam and Nick kind of being the go-to guys for me, at least. Um, I mean, go-to in the sense of, I'm call- I-, I started calling us the Boom Crew. I don't know why, where that name came from. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like the like sure. just boom, make it happen. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't that's know. we. Yeah, we 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 make it happen. I think yeah. it was just some weird situation where. Well, it wasn't a weird situation. I was like, I was walking down the street, and then I noticed Sam, and I was like, Oh, hey, Sam! And then I and then I for some reason, I guess I was in like one of those really cliche cool moods because I was listening to some beats or something, oh. and then I saw Sam. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I guess for some reason, I thought some cliche name needed to come out for us as a team when we did an episode <laughs> together and that's what happened so hey man you need it done boom we're there boom we're there you know it, it be- beats will do that to you man like they'll <laughs> dem beats dem beats dem beats will get you but let's move right over the plugs as always you can find me on twitter at brendan underscore mcgee that is b-r-e-a-n-d-a-n underscore m-c-g-h-e-e and nick where can they find you on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Carter D, 
N-I-C-K-C-A-R-T-E-R-D. And Sam, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, uh, at S Farabee. That's S, F as in Fred, E-R-R-A, B as in Bob, Y. And on Instagram, at Sam Farabee, all one word, same spelling. <laughs> I just find it really funny that you have to spec- specify that Fred starts with the letter F. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I don't know. My mom used to do that on the phone when she was talking to people about their license plates. Alphabet, man. Yeah. Is it always Fred F or F? Um, that's that's no. the most common one that I've heard. But probably not... just because that's how my dad has always said it. Like when he uh, when he says his name over the phone, okay. he's always like, "Yeah, F is in Fred, E B is in Bob, B is in Bob." My mom used to always say B is in Bob. I was like, "Why the hell are you doing?" Yeah. I remember asking my mom about that when I was a kid, and I was so confused. I was like, "That's your name, mom." And you can follow the show at the Real Rant Pod on Twitter. And if you are a filmmaker, creator, or fan, go ahead and reach out to us. Especially if you're a filmmaker or creator, because, hey, we've done episodes with you guys before, and we love to keep doing them, so go ahead and reach out. But that's not to discount the fact that if you are a fan and you are listening, go ahead and do the exact same thing, because we love you guys, and we want to hear from you. If you want to send us an email, you can send us an email at therealrantpodcast at gmail.com. Send us something nice, mean, or in between. It's all juicy, just the same. And again, if you are a fan, a filmmaker, or a creator, go ahead and get in touch with us that way as well. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at The Real Rant, all one word, where we post behind the scenes and updates of what's going on in our lives when we're not in front of a microphone, but sometimes when we are. So check it out. And if you're feeling real jazzy, you can go ahead and subscribe to our show and leave a five-star review because, hey, it helps us out a lot and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And last but certainly not least, you can go ahead and visit our website at therealrant.com where you can find all of our links to everything that we've just mentioned and including our links to iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and Google Play. And they're all up in the top left-hand corner when you visit our site on the homepage there or on the bottom half of the page when you go into the site. So it's all good. You can find it pretty much anywhere. You just got to look hard enough. And the film of the week next week, we will be watching... The Last Samurai, starring Ken Watanabe and Tom Cruise. So stay tuned for that. Hey, Nick. Hey, Brendan. Hey, Sam. Hey, Brendan. Hey, Sam. Hey, Nick. Guess what time it is, boys? What What time time is is it? It's time for the film of the week. The film of the week. The film of the week. Give me the magic sword. Okay. Okay. The film of the week this week is Swiss Army Man, as we said at the top of the episode. This is an amazing film. It makes my day every time I watch it. It's so funny. It's, it, I, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It's everything you need and more in a gift basket, plus some chocolates in it. You know what I mean? Like, if, if somebody, like, gave you a gift, gift basket, and then there were some, like, chocolates in it, and then there was also, like, some Annie's mac and cheese in there... Just make your day. Because then you get like a wicker basket too. I don't know where I'm going with this. But Cheese puffs, farts. I'm talking about as randomly Dead as... Dead bodies. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking right now about as randomly as the film is that we just watched. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess in, in in it all just works. It's really you know kind I mean? of a microcosm of the film, essentially. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So the choice of film this week was a collaborative effort. It was just bound to happen at some point. And I'm glad it's this crew that decided to do it together because honestly... I think these people like fart jokes. Uh, collectively, we all like fart jokes. Oh, yeah, of course. Abso-friggin-lutely. Abso-fartly. <laughs> <laughs> and the first 20 minutes of this film is all about fart jokes. So, 
and then then some afterwards. And the yeah. and the last like two or three minutes as well. Oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. Usually, we ask the question uh, to our guests: Why did we pick this film? Um, and I I really wasn't the first one to mention it, so I don't know whoever. I guess was the one who mentioned it in the Facebook chat. Why don't you speak up and forever be heard? So, Nick. So, Brendan. Why'd you pick this film? Um, because when you suggested that the three of us do another film together, I really wanted us to do something really odd and obscure. So, Nick, did you see this film, I guess, then in theaters like I did? or No, I didn't see it in theaters. I really wanted to, but I didn't have the time. I saw it like the second they put it on Netflix. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I hadn't been on Netflix in a little while, and then... They put it up and bring it to me. I saw it uh, actually at our University of Victoria theater, like oh, the really? UVic theater. Yeah. Well, I work there. So one night I actually, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about, I mean, I guess I could talk about it now, but I actually went to go see this film when I was like going through a really rough time uh, too. So it was kind of really nice to see this film at the time that I did because the character too is going through a lot of like, I mean, heartbreak in a sense, just loss. I think just like emotional loss uh, in general and kind of like hopelessness. Yeah, I'll agree to that. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's kind of, we'll get into why it might not be agreeable to later on. I feel like, cause, cause of what happens at the ending, it's like whether or not you take, you know, which perspective do you take? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, because one makes all of his experiences basically null and void, but no, I was going through kind of like a really rough time and, uh, when I saw this film in theaters and I and I went by myself because I was really determined to see it because I was like, you know what? I need to see something like this. And I just came out of the theater and I was like, man, I feel good. Like I was I was really down when I went to see it and I went in and I was like, screw it, you know, so it was fun. I had a good time and uh, I'm really stoked to talk about it. So, yeah. but before we get too far into the film, let's throw it over to Tom with the synopsis. Hey, how's it going, everyone? It's Tom Rombus here. I'm not here to cause a ruckus, but I am here to read a synopsis. All right, here we go. When a man gives up hope after being alone on a deserted island, his life changes when a seemingly dead body washes up on shore. When the body first starts to show its powers... Hank realises he can use it to get off the island and back to civilization. As the dead body shows signs of life, the unlikely pair begin to bond and muse on what life's purpose really is. Is Hank saving Manny's life, or is Manny saving his? This is Swiss Army Man. You know, funny enough, I've met a Swiss army man. Aye. Loved his cheese. And you may not think it, but he farted just as much as the guy in the film. A real stinker. Anyway, that's all for now, lads. Till next time. Thanks, Tom. I want to start off the conversation by talking about the whole film and then 
also the ending because I feel like this is a big conversation to have and it's the best way to start out this episode um, because it deals, I mean, primarily with perspective. And we love to talk about perspective on this show. It's what this show is fueled off of. And this film deals a lot, like deals with it a lot. And especially in the last 10 minutes where you're switching back and forth on who whose side you're on, you know what I mean? So in the beginning of the film, we have this character who um, is for in mo like he's gonna he's gonna kill himself, um, and he's re- and you obviously see that he's not doing well at all, especially you know what I mean, me- uh, mentally, physically, or in ev- every shape or form. And then he sees this body wash ashore, uh, and then the body takes him uh, by farting its way back to civilization. Um, and then he begins to use this body and you're, and you're trying to understand kind of if this is all in his mind, do you know what I mean? Because he represents, he has the essence of an individual who looks not all there, at least, you know, from his physical form, Paul Dano's character, Hank, he doesn't look all there. And, uh, and that, and that is, I mean, that is judgmental, but at the same time, when you kind of like look at what he's doing, I guess, in a sense, not in regards to the, the, the suicidal sense, but more in regards to further on with his interactions with this dead body. And I think that's intentional for sure. Yeah. Like the way he dresses and with the beard and he all looks like that. a caveman. He looks like a caveman. He mm-hmm. looks like someone who's been on a deserted island. For yeah, exactly. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah it, it's just a, it, you know, it, it uh, this is another film that is just phenomenal at showing and not telling. And, yeah. By just that, the one shot, the first shot of Hank in the film, uh, when he's clearly he's hanging, he's hanging by a noose. Mm-hmm. Um, he's disheveled. His his clothes are torn and tattered and stained. Yeah. He has a big, huge beard and yeah. long hair, and and that's all you need to know about this character at that point in time is yeah. just that one image. And I think that that this is a film that does that throughout the film really, really, really well, just in terms of of showing and not telling and showing the audience kind of what's going on and what you need to know without explicitly being like, oh, this man has bit like we we don't know. We don't find out how he got to the island. Mm -hmm. We don't find out how long he's been there. We, We know nothing about that. All we need to know is what's in front of us. And this is it's great that you mentioned that, Sam, because then once we get to the last 10 minutes of the film, I believe it's about an hour and 27 minutes in. That whole showing not telling flips on an absolute dime. Like it's someone took a quarter and flipped it heads and you were on tails the whole time. Like you were just, you're just like, what the hell is going on? Like you don't know who to trust, right? Because you immediately come to understand that this gentleman that we've been following the whole time, his story is he's not really lost. He's in the backyard of some woman's house. He's, he's in the forest behind this woman's house. And the story you were saying, Sam, that the story is all about showing and not telling, but that aspect that, that the story is not telling you is it's leaving out the whole aspect of him kind of being a bit of a stalker. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it it, it certainly, no, it it certainly hints, it, it kind of hints towards that, um, throughout just in in the flashbacks to the interactions of of him uh seeing the woman on the bus and sarah i think her name is yeah, yeah. and uh seeing sarah and um not talking to her but 
having her as his his phone background and yeah it it does kind of flip on a dime because we see the image of Sarah or the, we see the image of a woman before we know who Sarah is as exactly. the background on his phone yeah uh and so we make the assumption yeah, that that woman is his yeah, partner or was his partner some kind of significant other yeah exactly yeah. Because I mean, that's what you do, you know, when you when you have a when, that's what some people do when they have a significant other. Exactly, that's the perception that we are placing on the film. That's it's it's the film playing with what you were saying, Sam. That showing and not telling. It is the directors and writers of this film are intentionally trying to get you to think away, think in a way um, that this is the story that we want to tell, and this is the way it actually is. When really, there's a whole another thing going on, mm-hmm. um, and it's just. Yeah, just like that last that last minute um, or that last 10 minutes of the film, I want to ask, I think, the bigger the, the question that I kind of want to finish off with this uh, discussion to kind of go further into the film is kind of ask all of the hardship and all of the struggle that we see Hank kind of go through and with his interaction with Manny. Do we take that as genuine even after we find out what his actual you know, situation was, do you know what I mean? Like what his, what his reality was, because we are living in the perspective of a character who is essentially lying to us just as much as he's lying to Manny. And we can get into that discussion of Manny and Hank's relationship in regards to, you know, a shared consciousness, um, because it might be helpful uh, for people listening or whatever. But yeah, no, does his kind of hardships and all the things that he goes through and he works out with Manny, does that be kind of become null and void or completely irrelevant after we find out what he's actually doing, what his real intentions are? Or not really his real intentions, but what he has been doing, I guess I should say. That's a good question, Brendan. I feel like everything that Hank was doing with Manny is genuine because the things that he's teaching Manny are sort of the things that he wants to teach himself that he wants to teach himself. Exactly. Well, that's what I meant by the shared consciousness. Yeah. He's creating the life that he wish he wishes he could live. Mm -hmm. So I think that everything he is doing is very genuine to Manny and sort of, yeah, what he wishes he could do. Yeah. So well, he's helping Manny live the life that he wants to. But is that life still grounded in reality? Do you know what I mean? Like, is he... Are all of those things still justified? All the all of his teachings that he's giving Manny are all leading to the one event of him finding himself in the backyard of Sarah's house. Do you know what I mean that 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 is that is the ultimate goal here in the in the subconsciousness uh, of because there's so much psychological things going on in this film. But, yeah, because of all of that, I think we have to take the question of reality with this film and just kind of throw it out the window. Yeah, I don't think we can talk about reality with this. Yeah, but I mean, like, we can for at least the last ten minutes. Can we though? But because also, when he farts away, <laughs> when he farts, it's when he farts way. away at ten miles an hour, as I looked up, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fun fact of the week. Fun fact, uh, like that sort of like taking everything that we thought mm-hmm. we thought he was coming back to reality and that everything was a lie, 
and then all of a sudden we're it's, like, oh, it's not actually a lie. It's not a lie, is it? And, okay, but well then, then we're questioning everything. So I don't think reality is really... can be talked about with this movie. Okay, well then I guess I should ask then a better question. I guess then let's rephrase it: is um, how do we feel? I guess about the last nine minutes of the film, as opposed to that last minute where we find out that everything is real. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everything that he actually experienced with Manny was real. You know, let's consider it as such. Let's take it as that face value right now. Um, so if everything was real, then um, but before we get to that understanding of that realness through other people's perspective, seeing uh, Manny shoot away 10 miles an hour into the ocean is <laughs> then then how do we feel about that? How do we feel about that perspective switch? Do you know what I mean? Like. Can we re- can we trust the narrator at that point? How do we feel about the narrator or the the protagonist, not the narrator, which might also be the same thing? So yeah, I, I think I think we can still. I mean, I think we can still trust him. I think that the the things that he goes through and that him and and then he puts Manny through and and that him and Manny go through together um, as the film. I, I don't think it takes away from that at all mm-hmm. um, because. I think that everything that they go through is important. It, it's it's easier to teach somebody to be a better person than it is to teach yourself to be a better person. That's true. And so I, I think that that's kind of something to keep in mind when it comes to uh, his kind of mentorship of Manny throughout it. And I think that's kind of the crux of it all. Yeah. Um, is I mean, yes, his super objective throughout the whole of the film is to get to that place that house where Sarah is and and potentially maybe talk to her, maybe not, maybe just watch her. That's essentially his super objective throughout, you know, the whole film is to get back to quote unquote civilization so that he maybe can glimpse her again. Yeah. Um, and he does. And then it kind of gets all twisted and weird at the end. The reason why I asked this is because that's how I felt when I watched this movie. I felt very... The last like nine minutes like confused me so much. It's, it's a bit of a rug pull. No, because, it's a bit of a rug pull. Because for sure. you know how like we're watching the film as an audience, right? And then the and then the film does this double double layer where it's like we're watching a TV newscast on film of the movie. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's two layers. There's mm-hmm. there's the film that we're watching, and then the film is filming a newscast, right? So it, there's like a layer there. So it separates us, I guess, from the reality of the film, I guess, and, or the reality of um, of Paul Dano's character, Hank. Mm-hmm. And we get our first glimpse of someone who is really not all there for some to some degree because he goes on the news and starts talking about, that's Manny, that's my friend. He's dead, but he's also alive, and he's my friend. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, we get... Do you know, like the me, like immediately when I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god!" It reminds me so much of those like local news stations when they like go up to someone on the street and they're like, "How do you feel about this?" And they just like really have no grasp on reality. Yeah, like they're just going off about nonsense. And it's like if you saw someone like that, yeah, you you would put you know associations on that person. So I guess like for me, it was just really confusing when you put associations on a character that you've followed for an hour and twenty minutes. And then you get to this point where 
all of your associations of this character are then turned upside down and placed on this guy's actually kind of nuts well it's interesting it's a really interesting moment because there is i think it is purposefully meant to kind of cause a shift in the viewer because up until well that's what i was talking about with the two layers of the film and and when he's when he's specifically that one point when he's speaking to the news camera i i think it's really really interesting and it's interesting you say that because i felt the exact same way and it's kind of like it's this kind is of the, like a, this is really the question I was trying to get. Yeah, at. it took us a while, but no, we got there. It's kind of it's kind of like a like a glass shattering kind of moment because you realize that everything that you've seen up until that point, it, because you're watching it, it starts out the movie starts out just so strange and bizarre. But as you're watching it, and as you kind of you grow closer to the characters and the situation and everything that's going on, it seems to kind of all be part of it yeah it just, it's all part of the you, act you you as the viewer just get sucked into this really strange and bizarre reality and it seems normalized essentially like yeah. it, it, it I, I don't know if that's the best way no, to put it i would say yeah i mean everything is perpetuated to a point where you just kind of accept the reality yeah like once you see a man farting his way to civilization that's just kind of or using his penis to find you know as a compass yeah like i i I don't know, that's not reality, but there are some huge metaphors in there that we'll get to. But. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, all of these these really exceedingly bizarre things that happen, and they're really, really bizarre. As you're watching them, it, it just, as as the viewer, at least my, my experience with it was, it just kind of became like, it was less of like, oh, this is really weird, and more of like, oh, wow, like, this is happening. Okay, now this is happening. And it kind of breaks that barrier as the viewer. But then... When he speaks to the news camera and you see the perspective, the, the literal perspective shift of the watching it through the news camera's lens and he's saying all of these things to the news, to the, to the news reporter uh, on camera, you really, as the viewer, kind of realize just how bizarre and messed up and so odd all of this is. And it just it, – and, and it takes – that literal shift in perspective to kind of bring that about in the viewer. And and yeah, you realize, oh, wow, yeah, this this is all really weird. He's been talking to a dead guy this whole time that has special powers and saved him from this island. And he taught him all about life and love and really kind of, you know, quote unquote, saved him. Yeah. essentially and what are the filmmakers i guess trying to say about that i don't know nick like do like do you feel do you feel like the two daniels are maybe giving the middle finger and saying ha ha ha, ha i tricked you um i don't think so i think they're sort of i think with the very end of the movie let's say the last 10 minutes including the very end yeah they're kind of playing with cliches yeah you know, because it is a cliche in movies to have a bunch of weird stuff happening and then at the end be like, it's all in their head. Yeah. Right? And then at the very end, he farts away. And, it's yeah. like, and we're sitting there questioning ourselves. Well, was it in his head? Did it actually happen? Yeah. What's going on? Right? So I don't think it's them giving us the middle finger. I think it's them giving that whole idea the middle finger. Yeah. It's giving the cliche of that ending the middle finger. Exactly. I like that a lot better. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, buddy. I really want to talk about the performances in this film because I feel like Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe were the perfect choices for these characters, specifically Daniel Radcliffe as Manny. Um, I think he brought uh, charisma 
and an innocence to the character that was just so necessary. It was almost like watching a younger version of the first like film of Harry Potter. Do you know what I mean? Like even Harry in the first <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter movie yeah. was like innocent but not that innocent Mm -hmm. but like manny he's so innocent he's so innocent (laughs) he's like when he's talking about um masturbation yeah and (laughs) it's like the best piece of dialogue and then the how and weirdness yeah and uh i'll think about your mom when i masturbate yeah it's like so then you can feel better like yeah yeah so then so then you won't feel weird you won't be the only one and you won't feel weird he genuinely thinks he's helping him yeah yeah he that's all he wants to do he just he just wants to help he just wants to help hank the whole time yeah and it's and then because hank wants to do the exact same thing for him and Mm -hmm. then i guess if we kind of like think about that in regards to the dual consciousness thing uh if we are considering you know maybe if we do see um kind of hank's interactions with manny as more of a like one mind kind of situation if he is you know him i see that hank helping manny out comes from a place of these are all the places that hank has been but it's the more innocent version of hank in manny do you know what i mean and the things that he's saying, it's it's almost like having like a baby for a therapist. Like the way he's ta- the way Manny is talking to Hank back to him. Hank is telling him all these stories about his life to Manny, and Manny's just absorbing it like a sponge, right? Mm-hmm. Like a child would do. And then the child then tries to relate uh, with the world that there uh, that is around them back to the person that's teaching them these things because that's. There, it's almost like a, a repeat. It's a, it's a copycat almost. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. of what's being said, and and it's just yeah. Daniel is doing it really well, and the way, ooh, first name basis with him. Well, they're all <laughs> Daniel. named Daniel. Like they're all named Daniel, right? Yeah, I guess so. Like the two directors are named Daniel. Yeah, Daniel is the name of the main character. A lot of Daniels. Or the the name of the the actor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Daniel Radcliffe is just. Very good in this film because he shows that level of innocence so well, mm-hmm. as you said. And and Paul has these goddamn eyes that just make you want to cry every time you see a close-up <laughs> of his shot. He has they such do, a don't sweet they? face. Oh, my God. Do you remember that part where he's talking to Manny and he's saying, you know, come on, you, man, you just got to wake up. You just got to wake up. You just got to talk. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, and it just looks like. If this, if you took the shot of that and you put it in, like, you know, when people edit those films on YouTube sometimes to make it kind of different feel for the film or whatever. If someone were to take the shots of Paul Dano kind of trying to talk to Manny, talking to someone else that's like maybe dying or something like that, there's just so much truth in him Mm -hmm. in this role. And, and it's, yeah, it's all in the eyes. It's all in the face. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just got such a good... Like, them together is just amazing. Yeah. So It weirdly reminded me of Shia LaBeouf as uh, Stanley... Stanley Yelnats in Holes? Yelnats. Yeah, oh, Holes. My. Like, it reminded me of that a lot. Do you mean the relationship yeah. between Stanley Yelnats and, and, Zero. and Zero? Yeah, a little bit of that. And, okay. yeah, definitely that. And also, just the way Shia LaBeouf played that character, where he was put somewhere where he had no idea what to do. Uh, he was very different from everything around him. And he was just a sweet, nice guy in a yeah. bad situation. But yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great comparison to make between Stanley Yelnats and Zero, and and just that kind of the relation, the mentorship relationship, and um, you know, kind of finding out and discovering that 
uh, this character who, you know, was previously, I mean, they're helping each other yeah. out in a way that they don't know that they're helping each other. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's almost destiny for them to find for each sure. other. Yeah. Like you find like, again, like you, I mean, I don't know if you're comparing Stanley Yelnats to Daniel Radcliffe, but I'm, I would see more Stanley Yelnats to Paul Dano. Yeah. That's, that's what I was, that's what I was Radcliffe yeah. to yeah. zero. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Okay. Cause like both characters needed each other to move on. Yeah. Essentially mm-hmm. like, like, and they didn't know that they needed each other to move on. Because mm-hmm. we can only assume that when Daniel Radcliffe farts out into the ocean at the end of the film, that he's essentially served his purpose of showing everyone that, you know, Paul Dano's character, Hank, isn't isn't crazy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He, he has some agency as a person. Uh, to us as an audience, you know what I mean? We, we look at him now less less as a madman who's been hanging out in a forest behind somebody's backyard forever. But we see him as this innocent person again. We see him as the one that we always wished we could see him as since the beginning of the film. And that's all we want as audience members. Speaking of specifically the the end scene where uh, he jets away on a fart and, uh, you know, it's it's this big sad scene and, and he, he jets away just as uh, Hank is, you know, being kind of held by the authorities for you know just kind of being there and he doesn't really jet off into the wilderness until hank finally there's much there's much made in the movie about hank and his kind of timidness and shyness around society he's he's embarrassed to talk about masturbating he's embarrassed to talk about you know all of this kind of stuff he at the he even says at one point um (laughs) Don't talk about masturbation. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. People don't people don't talk about that or something like that. Yeah, or, and he doesn't Manny, understand why. Didn't yeah. Manny try to like have a conversation with uh, him as Sarah? Yeah, and he's like, "Do you masturbate?" Yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah, "No, yeah. you can't ask someone yeah. that." Yeah, but yeah. it's like, it, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's real though, yeah, and that's what I love about it. It is real. There's truth to it. You oh, I mean? absolutely. Like, do you know how like we live in a world that is so hell bent on living kind of like the half truth? Like everyone is thinking a certain thing, but no one's saying it. So we're beating around the bush. And yeah. We take twice the amount of time to get there. I'm not saying that we should go around asking everybody if they masturbate when they see them on the bus. But people do only let you see what they want you to see. Exactly. Right? So, so your mind is your is your is your treasure like you hold it secret to the rest of the world that is your that is your away place right and and i think what manny represents is this individual who doesn't have that away place doesn't have the thought no right he doesn't like that's what he's the, there, well there's no there's no filter there's exactly no, you but know. do you remember mm-hmm. that one part where where manny discovers a memory and discovers thought Oh, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, but that that for that's the part where he understands how to keep secrets, how to how to yeah. consciously understand what is okay and what isn't okay because he understands that that yeah, I can't go around asking everybody if they masturbate and I can't go around showing people how I can fart. Do you know what I mean? Even though he does it at the end of the film when he introduces himself to the little girl, but yeah, which is a little weird, but <laughs> yeah, but he like there's there's uh, what I'm trying to say is there's so much made about Paul Dano, uh, even like at the at the beginning when just after uh, they get off of the island, uh, when he's shouting out to nobody, just exclaiming that uh, 
this man or this this corpse man uh, got me off of the island. Uh, he said when he allowed me to ride him like a jet ski propelled by his and then he stops and he doesn't say fart. And then later on, they have that conversation about farting and how he says something along the lines of he's he's self-conscious to fart and he doesn't fart in front of other people. Yeah. uh, And something along those lines. But at the very end of the film, when the authorities are trying to grab him and he's scared, Hank, I mean, when the authorities are trying to grab him and he's scared and he lets out this fart, this big, long fart, it's the first time that Hank farts. And that's kind of the cue for Manny to be like, well, my job is done here. I oh got my you. God. I got you to fart in front of other people. I love. And then that's how I he, love. And then he just jets right I, off. I love that we're talking about Manny sort of like a guardian angel figure. Because if you look at it that way, by him farting off into the ocean, it's like he's going to do it again somewhere else. <laughs> he's going to wash up on another beach. Someone's going to find him and he's going to help them. Yeah. Well, we and don't I love that. We don't know where Manny came from. He just kind of appeared. We don't even see him washing onto the beach. That's he just, true. He looks across the beach and there's nobody there. And then we see Hank's gaze again. And then all of a sudden he's just there. Yeah. He, there's no washing up. There's no arrival of him. It's just one second it's beach, and the next second there's a corpse. I did, while we're on the conversation of farts and this kind of guardian angel essence, um, Paul Dano, I'm reading the trivia about this film earlier this afternoon, and uh, so it says essentially that uh, in an interview, uh, Paul agreed to do the movie after hearing one-sentence synopsis from the directors Dan Kwan and Daniel... Schirnert? Shinert? I can't... Shinert? I can't read it. I apologize. I, <laughs> I apologize if uh, that director ever listens to this episode. I don't think they will, but it'd be super awesome if they do. Um, and if they do, reach out to us. We uh, respect your work, but yeah, not your name. Yeah. Well, that's... I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the trivia, it says that they told Dano they wanted to make a movie where the first fart makes you laugh and the last fart makes you cry. And it's just like, <laughs> yep, that's, like, that's, that's it. Perfect. Like that, that is that's the film. It. That is absolutely the film. And it does like the last, uh, the last time I watched this film, I was by myself. And like I said, not in the greatest mood and or not in the greatest place. And, uh, I was like, this is so beautiful. Like <laughs> it's the most beautiful fart I've ever seen. <laughs> I'd say top five for me. Top five fart. Yeah, top it was definitely a top fart. fart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, top five beautiful farts, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one thing I wanted to really get across with this film is its use of humor. Like, this is... Yeah, unpa- unpack that, because we've already kind of talked about humor, but unpack what do you mean its use of humor. I yeah, guess. well, I mean, just objectively speaking, like, the first time that I watched this film... Week and a half ago. Yeah, a week and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um like I think it's the hardest I've I've actually genuinely laughed at a film that wasn't just like a slight exhale like through my nostrils mm-hmm. every few seconds that I like genuinely belly laughed at at many points during this film. I don't think I've done that. Did with you watch film it by yourself? I did watch it by myself. Even better. Yeah. It, it's oh, it's great. So yeah. Then you exactly. look like a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no. Like when you yeah when you watch a film with other people and they're laughing, the laughing can be contagious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas like yeah, you know, it's 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 hard to. 
I think it's hard to watch a film by yourself and like actually genuinely laugh, like, mm-hmm. like really like deep belly laugh. Oh, for sure. For um, sure. But this, this film made me do that probably more than any film I've seen maybe in the last five years. Mm. Like it, it really, it really, really got me so many aspects of it. And, and there are a lot of ways that this film utilizes and constructs humor within it, both with its dialogue, with the situation, situational humor of it, um, the physical humor, like it's it's kind of slapstick without being like like goofy slapstick. You know what I mean? Definitely, yes. Like it's there's like there's definitely like bodily physical humor just in the nature of Manny's character and and all of these powers that Manny exhibits in terms of physical humor. Uh, just the whole char- Manny's whole character essentially is. Uh, one big physical humor machine throughout it all. He's a Swiss Army man. He is. He is the Swiss Army man. Mm-hmm. Or just, a Swiss Army knife, but but just as a, a man. man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like they should have like called the movie that. What? A Swiss Army knife, but a man. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Like a Swiss Army knife, but actually a human being. Um. Yeah. No. Just all of the the powers that these magical, mystical powers that Manny the corpse has they're incredibly useful to hank within the context of the story but it's funny i I enjoy the way that hank discovers how to use them um and how casual it becomes yeah i love casual it becomes they're sitting there leaning against a tree talking and in middle of the conversation uh hank just pulls out a glass and presses on his stomach and gets some water and then is sipping it while they're talking yeah Yeah. (laughs) like it just becomes so casual and there's a hilarity with that this and and that fits in with the absurdity this Mm -hmm. film functions within the art of absurdity absolutely Um, it does and within all of the elements of humor that we've just kind of listed the physical the situational and the uh and the dialogue so but in regards to the physical aspect, I, I guess I was trying to get out with that with my my piece about how May- Hank kind of discovers these elements of how to use Manny as as a Swiss Army knife is very similar in the way that an individual might use a Swiss Army knife in a situation where oh, they do, you good, know what I mean like good, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book by Gary Paulson Hatchet. And it's about Brian, a kid who basically gets into a plane crash and he has to survive with only a hatchet, pretty much. And uh, it's pretty similar in the way that Hank uses Manny, the way that Brian uses his hatchet, is throughout the entirety of the book and throughout the entirety of this movie, they continually, they both, both protagonists continually learn how to use the item at their disposal. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, one is grounded more in reality than the other one, in our reality than the other one, um, unless there's some person out there that's able to fart like a speedboat 10 miles an hour that I don't know about. Try Um, me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I just, I really liked, when I was watching this film, I really liked being able to compare that to a childhood book that I read and being kind of like, I really enjoy that aspect because it is very similar to, and I've mentioned this on the show before, and I think it was... It was on the green room episode, the last one you were on, where 
I think a lot in the survival as, uh, aspect of life. Um, mm-hmm. Just because mm-hmm. when I was growing up, I'm going to keep saying, <laughs> I say it a lot on the show. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I spent a lot of time out in the wilderness and a lot of time camping. Um, and a lot of time, my brother is figuring out ways where we can use one thing to kind of like create more things that we could use to get to to get to an answer that we had when we were kind of out in the wilderness. So like, for instance, like one time we wanted to, uh, we wanted to go out on the water, but we couldn't swim that far. So we kind of hunted around the wilderness and then we found uh, a, a pallet, uh, just abandoned pallet. And then we found some bungee cords and we put it all together and we built a raft and we went fishing off the raft out in the ocean. And it's just like the idea of being able to think in a survival aspect you know, really comes easily for me. And I liked the idea of having that kind of like flipped on its head for my, for my own personal self of being used using a human and, Mm -hmm. and all the different ways that you can, because I mean, you know, someone lighting a match behind your butt and then, you know, blowing a fire. Yeah. Using it to like scare off a bear instead of a a campfire. Yeah. 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 Or like using a karate chop to, you know, cut wood in half or, you know what I mean? Or using a human body to 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 shave your face. To shave your face. Yeah, using his front teeth, <laughs> scraping his front teeth against your face to shave your the it's beard off of so your face. So weird, man. I, I think the coolest aspect of all of that is how all of these powers are um, organically discovered. Like they don't just happen in the film. Exactly. They, that's they what show I'm you about. how they're discovered, but it's not lingered on how they're discovered. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them, it's just like you see. It's like five seconds of film of like him doing something and then he discovers, oh, wow, there's another thing that this man can do. Mm-hmm. And and well, yeah, there's that big long montage of, of all of those different things. And it, it kind of it gets played up to just the pacing of it just gets played up to an absolute, I think, a hilarious you know just rhythm to it like i think that's that's where a lot of the well, comedy it's situational comes from right yeah and yeah. then we can get into, we can talk about situational right it's situate it becomes situational humor because the, the the situation when it when it comes time for something to happen uh or or hank needs something to happen we f- we find another aspect of the swiss army man that comes out that will help hank get from one goal to the next mm-hmm. right like when he uh, when he falls in the water, do you know what I mean? And uh, they shoot up out of the water because he pulls the cork from his butt because all the farts have been held in for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when he pulled the cork from his butt, was that sex? <laughs> oh, that was a. <laughs> You're referencing a, a a piece of dialogue in the in the in the movie, which is a good segue. Ah, <laughs> uh, humor. Ah, uh, which is a good segue. <laughs> Which is a good segue for us to kind of get into the dialogue of this film and mm-hmm. how it's how 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 it uses humor, um, and I found that it's very fast paced. I was going to mm-hmm. say, yeah, you mentioned timing, yes, and the timing of this movie is incredible, and I agree that is where a lot of the humor well, comes from. And I think I think when you have absurd humor, it has to be quick because it doesn't give you enough time to consciously think about the answer. Yeah. Like whether or not reality is actually um, there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not bearing us down in our in our situation, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a lot of times where Corey and I will be out on a walk or something like that and we'll see something because we're just bit kings. We just go out and we look at the world in these 
freaking rainbow goggles and we're just constantly thinking of things that you know in, we can make bits about and and then we'll find ourselves in a bit and then two seconds later you'll just be like what the hell was that you know what i mean it's like you transformed into something <laughs> it's but a great feeling exactly it's mm-hmm. amazing and and it, and i find a lot of that that in this film and that's why i love this film is because it's a moment to moment thing and that and you see whenever you see i i find that whenever you see a relationship that works that fast that is so quick paced in its dialogue people know each other you know what I mean? Like it, it mm-hmm. shows an essence of that that comedy that is used in the film. It shows a relationship between the two individuals because they know each other enough to know how one person is going to, you know what I mean? Like if you start talking, I'll know kind of what you're going to say so I can reply faster than say the average person might. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so. very Wes Anderson-y. I find that with a lot of Wes, or at least the Wes Anderson movies that I've seen, is the dialogue is oh, very yeah, yeah. quick. That's oh, what for I sure. Mean more. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that. It's a good comparison to make is is that with Wes Anderson because that's that's kind of how he works. I mean, he also works in the he works uh he works kind of in 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 comedy through I guess the environment as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's there's a little mm-hmm. bit of that in in this film. And it is a little bit of Wes Anderson, uh Wes Anderson-y. Corey had mentioned while we were watching it this afternoon that uh, he said this is a hipster's like wet dream. This film, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it really, really is. Like it is. It is very much. It is very much a film that is aware of its audience. Absolutely. Like it is very much like the people that are going to look for this film are the ones that are going to enjoy it, and those are the only people that are going to enjoy it because. I would never, ever take anyone to go see this film unless I knew <laughs> that they were going to laugh. I tried describing this film to my mom after after watching it for the first How'd time. Go, and dude? she was like, that sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> what did your mom say? <laughs> my mom? Yeah. Oh, you know what my mom's like. She just looked at me and she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I showed this movie to my mom, she would just bust a gut. But that's just my mom, though. <laughs> and she's been on the podcast before. Yeah. My, the listeners, if if you know who my mom is after that Jumanji episode, man, I could tell you a lot about this film. I think if I showed her this film, she would lose her mind. So, so I kind of want to talk about the camera work in this film briefly. It also, too, works within humor. We didn't, we didn't mention it in those three topics. We talked about situational, we talked about physical, and we talked about dialogue. But the camera also acts as a comedic character in this film. And, and we see that in, in a lot of the ways, the, the quick cutting, mm-hmm. the quick cuts mm-hmm. that we get, um, the transition shots. Um, I think my favorite use of the camera for comedy is the one where Paul Dano, who plays Hank, walks over to the berries and kind of does this weird little jig in front of the camera. And mm-hmm. then and you know that he's going to start eating it. And then I, I remember saying while watching it both times that I saw it, don't eat those. <laughs> And then the second you you think about that, you as an audience, it's a showing not telling thing again. You as an audience member see that and you're like, yeah, don't eat those, mate. And he eats them. And then the camera cuts to a wide shot of him throwing up in a bush. <laughs> and it's just like... Does it ever actually show him eating the berries? I think it just shows him really like excited about and, picking, picking, them. and picking yeah. them. And then immediate jump cut to him vomiting red into a bush. I think the funniest part about that, though, is the fact that the 
the camera gives your brain enough time to think don't eat that to the point where it then cuts like it's the realization Mm -hmm. is in your mind as quick as the cut that happens itself so the second you see him dancing the 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 editor is giving you that two second mind thought Mm -hmm. (laughs) mind thought quote of the day uh that thought to then have you spring with your mind into the next cut um and it's just so beautiful i also want to talk about how the camera throughout the film acts as both your friend and your enemy yeah because for a lot of the film such as with the berry scene we're sort of sitting there thinking like oh we know more about what's going on than hank does oh yeah but then at the very end it turns out He's just been like he's known more than we have, but we only see what the camera lets us see. That's playing in again with the showing not telling situation. Yeah, definitely, it's kind yeah. of like a like a like a false dramatic irony. I was just thinking that yeah. for sure. Yeah, we think that it's dramatic irony that we know more than the characters do, but the characters know way more than we do. Yeah, you know, because we're always seen as the like we as the audience member, we're the all seeing eye. We know what's going to happen before it happens, and I think. And again, that that also feeds into situational humor mm-hmm. um, and how we, you know, we know what's going to happen. We can read into the situation, but it's just like, I don't know, like this film does so many good things in the sense of being able to have you think about the way something might happen and then it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. It's like, okay, here's a, here's a metaphor. <laughs> here's a way you can kind of describe this film is is this film is essentially you go into the kitchen and you grab some eggs out of the fridge, you've cracked the egg and you drop the egg into the frying pan and it turns into a chicken. Like that's <laughs> like, that's this film pretty much. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like that anecdote. I, I think that that, I think that that works for it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so much, there, there are so many layers to everything that kind of, it, that, that the film gives you and then kind of pulls the rug out at the end, but also just kind of leaves you with that lasting sense of like uh, everything that you went through in this, you know, short 90, just about 90 minute film, uh, everything that, that kind of happens leading up until that point and then the ending is just as weird as the rest of the film it pulls the rug out from under you but catches you yeah absolutely <laughs> it's yeah. Like, absolutely it's does. like your friend it's like your friend pulling the chair away from you but then grabbing you at it right before you hit the ground yeah <laughs> like that that weird it's like haha joke but nah i'm still your buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely and uh i think this film does that really 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 well yeah wrapping up here i just want to say a quote that I think is the most beautiful thing about this film and it's Manny at the end of the film and he says but maybe everyone's a little bit ugly maybe we're all just dying sacks of shit and maybe all it'll take is one person to just be okay with that and then the whole world will be dancing and singing and farting and everyone will feel a little bit better and less alone like isn't that beautiful? That's really great. Beautiful. Like it's just so simple. That's honestly that's honestly one of one of the most beautiful movie quotes I think I've I've heard in the last little while. Like it's it's, so, it's so great and it's so profound and it comes from a movie about a man and a farting corpse in the woods. Like <laughs> exactly. It's, just, it's so it's so great. Yeah. It's so great. I think, and we never really touched on this, but I think the color also enhances its beauty as well. Like yeah. The film, the film. You know what I mean? 
And uh, I, I think if this film didn't have that glisten um, that really adds to, I guess, the hopefulness of this film, mm-hmm. um, glistening of ho- glisten of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it's a glimmer of hope. Glimmer. The, there's okay. a glimmer of hope. Um, I think that helps with Daniel Radcliffe's uh, physicality as well. Sam and I were talking about this earlier, about how Daniel Radcliffe just has this sort of decrepit face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, not in an ugly way, but it, it works when he looks dead, right? But he also has these, like, piercing blue eyes, mm-hmm. right? And that his eyes are sort of the glimmer of hope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. he's this dying, rotting corpse with these beautiful blue eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they're supposed to be dead and gray. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if somebody did it. Like, I wonder if, why nobody noticed that when he was like sitting on the beach, that why this corpse had bl- like baby bright, blue eyes. Yeah, bright blue eyes. Because yeah. usually your eyes glaze over after the first like couple days mm-hmm. of being dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It just, it shows the life that is in this lifeless corpse. But Sam, you have some kind of like tie in regards to the philosophy of, I guess, the essence of the film in regards to that quote that I I wanted us to talk about, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really noticed uh, when specifically within the the relationship between Hank and Manny was when Hank was kind of teaching Manny about life, essentially, and and the fundamentals of, of life and why you live and why things keep going. Uh, I, I thought that was really interesting, just kind of Hank's philosophy of of how that all was. Um, you want to mention a quote? Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna I, quote my quote. I, <laughs> I'm gonna use my quote to help to help further describe your quote. Mm-hmm. I might use a couple quotes. We'll see. Quote on quote. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead, man. When Hank describes uh, first describes his kind of philosophy on life to Manny. Um, he describes that all all people are really seeking in this life is is to be happy and to to seek and find happiness. And he describes that to Manny as the essentially the relationships that you make in life. Uh, he says sometimes uh, you might be lucky enough to bump into the one person you spend the rest of your life with, and that is love. When he teaches Manny what love is essentially just by saying that and that's something that's carried within Manny and Hank for the rest of the the rest of the film uh in their discussion of Sarah in their their kind of role playing with Sarah and what that means um but just uh, a little bit after that there's another really interesting point about Hank and his view on kind of life and love and what that means to him uh when Manny asks him a really simple question what is Netflix uh, Hank responds with this long-winded scenario um, about how people, when people go on dates, they typically go to movies, but Netflix makes it so that you can watch movies in your home, and it's, it's a really funny because we all watch this on Netflix. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is great. I, yeah, I was watching it on Netflix at the time, and I was like, oh, huh, this is yeah, cute. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you, it makes it so that you can watch movies kind of in your home, and it's a bit closer, and then people get closer with each other, and then they get married, and they have and uh, have kids and maybe what if those kids are twins and then you have to take out a mortgage on the house and get a second job in order to pay for the twins. And this is all in response to Manny's simple question about what is Netflix? Yeah, He's just going on and on and on and on and on about this scenario of life and, and 
and relationships and what those relationships mean to him, like what, what love is and what happiness is. It just kind of all kind of blends into that. I think the, the main thing that I got from that, uh, in regards to that first quote is, is what is Netflix is essentially what is love. Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) But like, is Netflix, what is Netflix? And I think what they're trying to say, or at least what Hank is trying to say is, is that Netflix is comfort. Yeah. Netflix is, Netflix is what we are all looking for because we want to find someone that we can sit down and watch Netflix with. And once we have that, um, and this is part of the quote as well, that once we have someone to sit down and watch Netflix with, that that is comfort, that is home, that is where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know that in that sense, you know, you will be sitting next to someone that will support you in the same way that you do. Do you know what I mean? And and then kind of going back to, you know, taking a deeper dive, but going into, you know, people that you would mention this film to to go and see because uh, because you know their their style of humor, that is comfort too. This film, if you mention it to someone, you're comfortable enough in knowing that they're going to get the joke. They're going to get the fart joke, but they're going to see the love and the comfort that you are giving them because you know that they know. It's like... It's like you giving someone a gift that you know that they'll only know about. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like if I showed up at your door and I I brought you back like a Boston Red Sox signed baseball. Yeah, I'd lose my mind. Exactly. Think, wow, what an incredibly thoughtful gift. That's, but that's if awesome. I gave that to say Nick, I would find it very cool and then Google the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's, definitely. That's that's kind of what this film does for people. Mm-hmm. Is it shows what how comfort and love fit in together. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of the film, Swiss Army Man. How do you think we did, Nick? I think we did great, as usual. How do you think we did, Sam? I think we did fantastic. I think it was a great one. I watched this film for the first time when I was in a low place, and now I'm on a high, and it's pretty great. Life is pretty good right now. I cannot complain. So, Is it fair to say that the first fart made you laugh? And the last fart made you cry. Yeah. Do you mean like in life? Yeah. Are you saying about in like what do you? Well, I mean within the context oh, of the film, but also yeah. in life. No, for sure. I think, I think if we're gonna take that metaphorically into my own life right now uh, and see where I watched this film the first time and where I ended up, is perfect because it's like I watched this film when I was in the dumps and I needed to laugh, mm-hmm. and then I watched this film in a place where I'm really really happy. And it makes you cry, you know what I mean? Because you you see the struggle that you go through and that element of kind of like going through the motions of finding that happiness. And then when you become aware of it finally and you're sitting in a chair watching this film and you're like, shit, man, Mm -hmm. I made it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm present. Nick, did the first fart make you laugh and the last fart make you cry? Yeah. The very first fart, I was like, this is crazy. This is wild. I'm here for it. And the very last fart, I was like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know how sometimes 100%. you can just say, yeah. Yeah. And as always, we like to do our arbitrary reviews of the film because we are not film reviewers. We are film discussers. And this is all arbitrary. So, Nick, what is your arbitrary review of this film? I give this film one cork and one butt. Oh, I was going to do cork butt. 
<laughs> that is my favorite grunge punk band. So, <laughs> And Sam, what is your arbitrary review of this film? I'll give it 10 big, long, 30-second farts. And I'd give this film, what is Netflix? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> That's what I give this film. What is Netflix? Baby, don't hurt me. Anyways. And I think that brings us to the end of another episode of The Real Rant. Sam and Nick, thank you so much for doing this recording with me at a very late part of the evening. It's super, super late here, and I need to go to bed. So, with that, Nick, is there one last word you'd like to say before we close out the show? Fart. Sam? Fart. And fart. But also sing. Fart.